Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and uh, Aiden is out this week, but Jake is joining us today uh, as our fellow co-host, and we have a guest, um, Kate Wagner, who is a uh, friend from school that I met. She was a freshman when I was a senior, and then I've been living in town still, so I've been able to stick around the crowd a little bit. So welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So uh, for tonight's discussion, we are going to get into Kate's thesis topic um, and the idea of like why common sense is so essential and why it could be the most principle of um, human knowledge and like what it means to have common sense and then also start to talk a little bit about um, uh, trans people, that whole kind of situation, like how you understand it, what we can learn from it. Um, but to start off, um, Kate, would you like to share a little bit about your background, like where you grew up, what you like to do, and things like that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I uh, grew up in um, Minnesota, and we've just like always lived in town, but tried to do as much as we can kind of on our own. Um, and so definitely grew up with a lot of like, do your own oil changes, hunt your own deer, um, grow your own garden, uh, clean your own guns kind of mentality. Um, we, so I went to Catholic schools K through 12. Um, we were not always Catholic or even Christian. Um, but we converted when I was pretty young. Um, and yeah, just have always kind of come from a conservative family. Um, I'm going into my senior year at Wyoming Catholic College in Lander, um, Wyoming. And yeah, I, I chose the school um, because I was really excited about the idea of living fully alive, right? So body, mind, and spirit. Um, and that's, that's the structure of the program out there, right? So we have this outdoor program, um, freshman year, every single student starts out their college career with a 21 day backpacking trip. Um, we are like a classical liberal arts college. Uh, and so you get like this very deep philosophical and theological and, um, literature based, uh, education. And then we're a Catholic school as well. So you have the, the, the spiritual, um, component in there as well and just like yeah being fully a human and living fully alive um so yeah that's a little bit about me I am very interested in agriculture uh so I'm working on a couple different farms right now um growing some organic vegetables in greenhouses and then milking sheep uh yeah worked with animals and lots of different crops and stuff so that's awesome. I, I didn't know that you were converted early on, um, but I mean, there's, it's really hard to beat that grassroots growing up lifestyle. Like, mm -hmm. um, I, my dad had a plant nursery, so we kind of got the experience of a farm life growing up. Mm -hmm. And like, there's so much value in like working with your hands and seeing what you do like come alive with gardens and agriculture, like raising animals, 
and then yeah like you you get such a good perspective on like how things work in the world and mm -hmm. i think it's really foundational for like all that we learned at WCC because it kind of grounds everything like all the ideas of philosophy you can generally find just through nature that's how like Aristotle brought in the idea of natural philosophy and all that so that's awesome I, I uh, I'm really glad that people have that kind of opportunity when they're growing up in, uh, in the creation that God gave us so yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, I think we'll probably talk about that more um, as we go, but like, that's basically my whole thesis um, is, right, so that experience, those experiences of working and, and basically stewarding, right, which is like the first thing that if you're, you know, working in a Christian context, like that's the first thing that God really told us to do was to steward the earth. And so like, it has to be good for us, right? And if it's like the first thing that he asks us to do, like it's probably one of the best things we can do. That's like best for us. That's going to like lead us closest to him. That's going to bring us closest to truth. Right. And, um, and so I think that's kind of where, yeah, common sense comes in um, is through experiencing reality, like as an embodied reason. Right. Cause that, that's what we are. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> Um, I was at WCC, but what, do you have um, some questions, Jake? Like, because you and Aiden kind of got an outsider's perspective, but I feel like you get a little more of a glimpse of what it was like there. But yeah, no, it definitely sounds like a fantastic place to uh, to go to school, and I'd imagine both of you guys with your um, grassroots, self sufficient, uh, respective backgrounds with that probably prepared you all for that three week. Uh, three-week backpacking trip initially I've always uh something if I could do it all over again I wish wish my school had that that sounds like a sounds like a pretty neat experience um but yeah I mean I guess I was just curious do you still keep in touch with uh, a lot of your classmates and do you feel like you felt do you feel like you found a pretty good community there me Tom both of us yeah either either one <laughs> one or both <laughs> um i guess tom you should probably maybe speak to this first because you're an alumni yeah so. um that's so there's this weird um i don't know if it's a phobia or what you call it exactly but if you're an alumni in lander you feel very strange um, and I've talked to like so many people about it and I don't know what it is exactly but I think it's the idea that you with someone new and then they're like go out into the world and change it and you're still around and they're like well you're supposed to be gone by now it's like yeah. well I know so I I usually don't really go to any events at school unless someone invites me otherwise I just feel awkward um, but I try my best to stay in touch with people I knew from school actually this podcast has been a great way to do that because people that you haven't seen in a while um we're actually talking about this last night with Andrew but we we're talking about how community grows around an activity so if you're able to do something with your friends like say on a podcast for example it's kind of a little bit more fun than just like giving them a call and finding out what's happened in your life because on a podcast you're being proactive 
in the present time for something in the future. So it's kind of more like a, a forward thinking idea that you can do with your friends rather than just kind of catching up on the past. So that's been good for me. Um, and it's been cool because um, I've been able to meet a lot of the local people and I'm finding that Lander is somehow strangely a hub of the whole US. There's people here that you would never have guessed did what they did and then they just come to lander just to be here it's crazy yes yeah and like why lander like i understand why the climbers come you know because there's there's good rock climbing you know i understand why the cowboys come there's like good places for cattle all that sort of stuff and then you have these like crazy adventuring randos who like ended up in the middle of wyoming where like one bad winter storm shuts all of the roads outside of Lander down and you're like stuck in this little town of 8,000 people. Like, I don't know. I don't know why you chose Lander, um, but like, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the hub too for like the Catholic world somehow. Like, I just found this out. Yeah, on Monday, we had a little Memorial Day party over here. I was talking to Andrew Matthews and I found out that one of his best friends he knew from school was Bo Caviezel, the son of Jim Caviezel. Wow. And then to take it a step further, I found that Emma Grayson babysits Jim Caviezel's kids. What? I know. I Emma. lived in the same dorm as her for a year and I, she never told me that. I know. No. That's so cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, dang, well. You're just like automatically famous now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. The other thing that I've noticed in Fremont County too is we have an amazing agricultural community in, in Fremont County. I don't know like how connected you are to that, Tom. Um, but CWC, the like state college that's in, in Lander a little bit, um, they have a really good sustainable ag community not just like education but like community amongst farmers and like programs and people helping each other out and it, it's it's crazy it's like very developed so no idea yeah yeah to look into that go to the farmer's market you meet so many cool people see i'm not a very good community member yet i've this is just working. <laughs> Maybe not more. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think the other thing that I run into just with like staying in touch with people, especially with alumni, is um, so we have this like very limited technology policy um, when you're a student. So every single student turns in their cell phone whenever they're on, in, on campus to like the Office of Student Life. And they just like, you shut off your cell phone, you don't have it like day to day life unless you like leave town. And kind of the idea is like, it's a community builder, right? And the, the like instant gratification of the technology is like distracting us from reality. So it like helps you to be more present. Um, but I mean, there's always like exceptions to this generalization, but a lot of alumni have found <coughs> like don't really like using their phones <laughs> so it's just so hard to like stay in, in contact with certain people um 
because you just like get used to like living life without it you know and we really don't need it um so that that's that's the only hang up that I've had with staying in touch with people I suppose yeah no that um we actually touched upon that in a podcast a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and I guess I would ask do you notice um like a palpable difference at once you turn your phone in and forever for however long one or two days do you notice yourself um like longing for it or are you pretty quick to uh disassociate yourself from it I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at disassociating from it once I turn it in but once I get it back I mean I'm human I'm like just as addicted to it as ever I am unfortunately not one of those students who goes on breaks and it's like I don't like my phone anymore um may hope but <laughs> well I think the very fact that you're able to uh give it up for even a day or two I think that's uh that still says a lot about uh about being able to be detached from it so yeah but I think that is a pretty cool that's a pretty cool policy they have kind of makes life hard sometimes but no it's good that's um i've noticed too like after going to school and if someone pulls out a phone that was a student in front of you you have this automatic reaction it's like whoa what are you doing like (laughs) did you understand like what this is about yeah yeah i I thought it was just funny because i was like huh i wouldn't have expected it because like i noticed people that were like use their phones more through school actually use them less out of school now than the people that use them less in school, which is kind of weird. Mm. Mm. And I think it's just like understanding um, how to use a tool correctly, but definitely have my shortcomings with that as well. Because I was talking to Easton about this actually, mm. um, like how there's almost like this weird FOMO when you don't have your phone on you, and you know mm. you could have it. Cause you want to see what's going on mm-hmm. and when you can't see you're kind of like you're almost a little bit scared you're like what's really going on and stuff but at the same time if you do go on it and you find out all the bad news then it makes you depressed so it's kind of a double-edged sword there but yeah yeah no i i have found that like i was just at a wedding a few weeks ago right and there were a whole bunch of people from your class actually tom um it was super cool so so tom's Tom was a senior right when I was a freshman and our two classes were like super close for some odd reason. I don't really know exactly what it was. I think we had a lot of like siblings and friends. I think we saw everything on the same wavelength too. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But there were, anyways, there were a whole bunch of people from your class at this wedding and it was really cool because there were all sorts of like non WCCers and just like very normal, you know, pull out your phone mid conversation kind of like thing. But then it was like so natural for us to just be in a group together. And like, I, I don't know, I just completely for- forgot about my phone when I'm like with them. Right. And I think that's a good sign is like, even if you are um, using your phone a lot, right. It's just like the hierarchy, the like primacy, like, are you putting human interaction 
above your technology use. And as long as you get that order right, like I think that's 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 what's really important, right? Yeah, if you there's this weird thing that I've been noticing there's a lot of inclusions in the world. And so if you put the lowest thing at the top and the top at the bottom, everything works terribly. But if you do the right structure of hierarchy, it all works out really well. So I think you're totally right about that. Like if you use your phone as a means to get closer to people, rather than like as an escape route, if you're not feeling comfortable to talk with them, mm -hmm. then you'll actually grow in a deeper way rather than feeling like you have to kind of put up a facade of looking cool but not really knowing how to engage with somebody mm -hmm. that is something i'm very grateful about from wcc is that ability now to kind of hold your own in the conversation like you don't have to rely on something else to give you ideas you're more mm -hmm. proactive on how you think and communicate which is really really good because it's so much more fun to talk with people you know than it is just to like text or mm -hmm. see what's going on on the phone i think once you see that then you're like oh and i can use this as a way to make that even better mm -hmm. yeah, yeah you really you really surprise yourself with how creative your mind can get when you just let it let the ideas flow without uh looking at look googling or looking up online uh trying to stimulate your mind that way sometimes just sitting back and having conversations with people that'll dry it out. So yeah, I think that's uh, being detached from technology in that way would really, really be conducive to uh, to some good conversations as we've seen. I think the uh, the last five or so guests we've had have all been uh, Wyoming, Wyoming Catholic students. So and each, each conversation has had its own uh, unique twists and turns, but have all been really, really uh, intellectual and I've, I've really learned a lot. So, um, but going off of that, this is a little off topic, but um, we talk about the community there and I'm just curious um, what, what the amount of students are, how many, how many are enrolled currently? If you have, if either of you have a rough, uh, rough number off the top of your head. Last I checked, it was like 170, 180. And there's oh, wow. just under 200. So, I mean, we're pretty small. You're gonna know everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. But also, that's that's pretty neat, in my opinion. Um, when, like you said, everybody is familiar with each other, I think it's yeah, I think you create a much stronger community that way. So that's that's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah, very like potent experience, right? Because you are in a microcosm of people who have all of their own drama. Um, learning intense things in a short amount of time uh and having virtuous friendships or not so virtuous friendships like you're having the whole whole array of human experience in college i think really in any college right but um so i guess, I guess that's that's how i would describe the experience of being a wcc student it's like potent <laughs> um very intense what would i guess both of you um what would you say was your most intense uh coursework or class that you've taken so far if you had to choose one oof, oof. 
or are they all all just their own uh, type of meat grinder? No, there's definitely a difference. Um, I am not a huge STEM person. So like any of the math classes was not my strong suit. Um, honestly, Latin was also really intense. So Latin is required um, freshman and sophomore year. And then you have to do like two reading groups, your upperclassmen years. Um, I think probably the most intense class um, was actually music theory though, just because the professor was like, very excited about the co the coursework and um, was definitely pushing us to the heights of our abilities. Um, and also music theory is like, it. music sounds beautiful. It's a very like poetic experience. And then you get to the theory and it's just all math again. <laughs> um, so, but I guess like intense on a personal level was probably, sophomore year philosophy you read the Nicomachean ethics um which is all morality basically and like how do you judge moral issues um it's ethics and yeah that that got my whole class like seriously asking questions about whether we were good people Yeah, that, that was a pretty good class. Mine was really laid back. I had Sam in my class and we had Dr. Holmes. So we were just kind of like reading through and having a good time. But ours is a junior year, which is surprising. But, um, oh, maybe it was junior year. Maybe it was first semester. They all kind of get mushed together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I would agree with you, though, with the math part of it. I think that was what hit me the most. Um, because it's not like normal math check where like you learn how to work a problem and then you do it. <clears throat> it's like we learn all the theories behind how math works. So we kind of get a historical view. But then they assume that if we get the historical theoretical view, we can therefore just do the problems because we know all the basics. Not easy to do. <laughs> so. Hey. You can't get away with just doing what I did, which is memorize all the formulas and uh, not really understand the <laughs> fundamentals, it sounds like. No. So freshman and sophomore year, you take Euclidean geometry and Euclid, right, was like the father of geometry. Like he mm -hmm. was like the, the geometry. Um, and that is not memorization because he just has these like all of these propositions that you have to present at the whiteboard in front of the whole entire class and yeah this this is actually kind of connected to my thesis idea a little bit but I remember just like getting to a point in Euclid where I was just so frustrated and confused and was like I think my mind can just not comprehend this like I I think it's just above my intellect I think I'm just too dumb you know <laughs> um and then I realized, like, no, like, Euclid was a normal human person with a normal human rationality. Normal human people with, Norman, with normal human rationality have studied Euclid for, like, centuries. I'm a normal human person with a normal human intellect. That means, like, I can understand this, too. And I think that's really the breakthrough 
that that was the breakthrough for me was yeah if i am an intellectual creature and i have a mind that works even though this is hard if other people can understand it i can too right uh, that was a cool moment in my educational career <laughs> yeah absolutely that's a good way to look at it Kate, because sometimes it's so easy to think like all these people like they're so much smarter than me like how am i supposed to keep up but then you realize it's like well we all have a lot of intellectual power it's just understanding how to use it train it and mm -hmm. it helps so much and this also kind of i think adds to your thesis idea or connects with it um but I've been studying a lot of like how to do speed reading and like um, how fast recall on your thoughts and things like that. And one of the main things that this guy I'm learning from, his name is Jim Quick, and he does a lot of uh, training for all sorts of people. He's considered one of the leading brain coaches in the world now, actually, for it. And he talks a lot about the mind body connection. And he says like one of the best ways to sharpen your mind is to sharpen your body skills like coordination mm -hmm. so he said like every time you move the right side of your body across your like dividing line into your left or left to right he said that connects your brain symmetry so it allows you to be smarter essentially or mm -hmm. like if you like the juggling is really good for memory because they've been finding that memory comes from I think it's gray matter in your brain and that <clears throat> you can build that fast by using the peripheral vision. So if you're juggling, you're not looking at one point, you're using your whole um, vision or space. And then, so it allows your brain to like think and remember where everything is based on your vision. So oh. then your memory is a lot stronger from it. So it's all like very hands-on, like how you improve your memory. And like even speed reading is uh, you just pointing at the words with your finger because your eyes follow our hands. Like whenever you count something, you always use your finger. So huh. really cool. So huh. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. But yeah. No, just, I mean, just goes to show like we are, uh, I, I like the term created reason more than rational animal. Yeah. Um, because I think rational animal is a little bit too modernistic and kind of scientific revolution, right? Like basically what a human is, is an animal who, right, can, is, is rational. But I think generally the term rational uh is kind of used to mean like abstracting um or con considering like just the abstract intellectual concept rather than um uh like a whole right truth as a whole entire thing that um also informs the material world that we're in right um I guess this is kind of the difference between someone like uh, Descartes and a poet like, oh, 
um, Hopkins. I just did a big, huge project on uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who is well loved by both my class and Tom's class. Um, but so, so Descartes, his whole thing, right, is I think, therefore I am. That's, that's, his, that's his phrase. Um, so he, he decides basically in his thought, his system of thought, that you cannot trust your sen- your like sensation, your sense experience, right? Because what about dreams? We have these dreams where it's like we feel things and we smell things and we hear things and we touch things. Um, and our quote unquote sense experience is lying to us because we're dreaming, right? We're not actually experiencing reality. So Descartes sees that and is like, well, that means our senses are not 100% reliable. So I'm going to choose to doubt them and to say that, right, we, we cannot rely on them to help us to find truth. So the only thing that he can trust is the fact that he knows he can think. And so he goes off, like his whole philosophy is, gets to the point of being like incredibly divorced from reality from the experience of reality because he like totally lost his grounding right he he chose to abstract um kind of the forms of things like way apart from the material of them and to say that the material doesn't say anything about the truth or the essence of a thing right um that's all very philosophical but then you have Hopkins who's a poet right so he's not going to be doing this like weird abstract um philosophy but he still has a sense for truth um and his his theory is basically we should trust our senses because that's what humans are like we if the soul leaves the body that's a corpse right and so like we need our soul we need our intellect but if we don't have a body we're also not human um so we have to find a way to like find truth with both our immaterial soul and our very material physical body, right? Like they are intertwined. Um, and so his, his kind of way of looking at the world is that the appearances of things, like the beauty that we see in the world um, is actually the external manifestation of the interior truth of a thing, right? So. So we see this in like a horse, right? When you see a horse with like perfect proportion, right? The body is like perfectly balanced. It's galloping really well. Um, It's a beautiful color. Uh, We say that that's a good horse and it's like showing us in a very uh, exceptional way what it means to be a horse, what hoarseness is, right? And so Hopkins is very um, appreciative of like the whole truth of the thing that we can't just find truth separate from reality. So that that's kind of like why I like this whole um, embodied reason, created reason kind of terminology, um, because I think it's, it keeps things closer together, right? It keeps the like abstract immaterial stuff married with the physical stuff which is exactly the way reality is um so I think that's really cool about the whole like brain spatial 
learning thing. Like, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, I think it'd be kind of weird and I think it'd be really weird and not commonsensical um, <laughs> if we learned in like any other way. I, I don't, I think that just wouldn't make sense for us as humans, you know? Yeah, that's really, I really like how you explain the Descartes and Hopkins. That was like one of the best dichotomy examples I've seen, like showing the one extreme and then how that kind of separates what it means to have a human life. And Hopkins brings it back and to show you how beautiful it is to be human mm -hmm. and how we can be reasonably certain about the things we're around based on the more true reality of something shines forth through its beauty in the material world. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a little choppy, but it reminds me of, uh, there's this really cool talk I listened to by Jordan Peterson. It's probably the best talk I've ever listened to in my life. It was so good. It was called The Logos at Ephesus. And he was at the library at Alexandria, no, in Ephesus, and the library there was actually bigger than Alexandria at the time. And so he takes the idea of logos and Western thought, and from the very beginning of like Greeks to Christianity, the present day, and he talks about how when people get hung up on scientism and materiality, he says that people think that's like the closest truth we have. But he said that's actually like a pale truth of what it's pointing to. Mm. And so he uses the idea of order from a, a creative mind to build something to show that we as sub-creatures of God are meant to be able to see the world, see what it's about, see the chaos in it, order it, and then make it better for life. Mm -hmm. So good. I'd highly recommend it to everyone. Um, and he speaks exactly about that, like how he used the material world to see through to the higher, deeper reality that God has created for us. And it's pretty cool because you think about it like, I don't know, I when in school there's a lot of... Um, JQ, this is interesting, but there was a lot of emphasis on like platonic thinking in school. And so people thought that like angels were always superior to us in every way. And they thought that we were kind of dumb in comparison. In some ways for sure. But I thought it was kind of insulting because I was like, well, look at this. Like angels don't have eyes. They don't have hands. They can't touch anything. They can't smell anything. So I would much rather be human and have this um, continuous process of learning and seeing something and then see the deep reality of it. Kind of like if you, it's kind of like if you walk into a city, if you already knew everything that was there, it wouldn't be very exciting. Mm -hmm. So, but if you get to explore it with friends and people that makes life really fun. And then people that you want to learn from can therefore keep teaching you and your life can become clearer and clearer. So I'm all with you, Kate. I think that it's a really good way to think about it, just like seeing through the mature world, seeing the goodness and beauty and the truth of it, 
and that leads us to higher things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. I guess I never that never really uh, really crossed my mind, but yeah, and it makes you. I guess seeing that power that we have, the capacity to learn, just would encourage you to uh, continue that process of broadening your knowledge and having discussions like this one. That's really really neat way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And actually story to kind of throw in there as well. Um, Jake, earlier you were asking kind of like what uh, inspired me towards my thesis topic. Um, So just for the audience, my thesis is going to be on um, common sense, right? And uh, basically the dignity of common sense as kind of the most basic, uh, most fundamental mode of human rationality. Um, And and so one of, a a big part of the inspiration for this was actually my grandpa. Um, So on my dad's side of the family, he grew up in a military family, um, I think in the Air Force. I think my great great grandpa was in the Air Force. So they moved around like all the time and he was never at the same school for more than a year. And sometimes like he would, uh, there, there was one year where he switched schools three different times. And so he literally never learned to read or write. Um, and now he's in his seventies, right? And last year he was just like getting into all of these books that I read as like 12, 13 year old, these like short chapter books. And he's just like, he's eating, eating them up, right? Um, he's like so excited to read and, and all, all that sort of stuff, but he's, he's well off and he taught himself everything and he like knows how to do more stuff than literally any other any other man that I know um he is incredibly good with his hands right he like he welded for years um he ran his own like gunsmithing business for a while um knows how to grow stuff has built houses like knows all of the engine stuff can fix like any engine um this carpentry like he's doing well and he never learned he never got a good education um and that always just like really interested me um how someone could he's also just very wise right he's very good at giving advice especially for you know people issues and drama and whatnot um how can someone who never got an education never really learned the school stuff have such a good sense for truth and have such a skill at learning right and that that's kind of what first caught my interest about like huh so basically all of us humans we all have this mind we all have this intellect that works that we don't need school necessarily to use right we we can use our intellect and we can accomplish a lot just through our normal human powers um just thought i'd I'd throw that in but i think just more proof right uh 
of this thing that I want to call common sense. Yeah, that's really good point to make, Kate, because uh, I'm just thinking of a bunch of examples that I've seen, like people teaching themselves and mastering something almost more than if they learn it in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Like me personally, I notice that if someone tells me something, if I really want to master it, I usually go find a way to teach it to myself. Um, and it seems to stick a lot better than if I just hear someone else tell me about it or watch them do it. It's almost like if I get into the action more, then it almost becomes part of me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I yeah, I think I think it's just becoming more more and more instilled in you. I remember um, last summer I was working on uh, the organic vegetable farm that I'm, I'm on right now. And we were harvesting onions. It was like later in the summer. And so organic vegetable farm, I have lots of very liberal coworkers. I don't really understand why all the liberals are in agriculture. I mean, I guess environmentalism. I don't really know. Anyways, it was still interesting to talk to them. One of my coworkers at the time was an atheist and we got into this like super interesting conversation on why are so many atheists like social workers like why, why did they care about the state of the world why do they care about morality like in the grand scheme of things nothing matters um so why do they care about making the world a better place and it was just a very very interesting conversation um that I think instilled my education in me even stronger than it was you know just coming out of classes like at the beginning of that summer because I was applying what I had learned it wasn't just like stacked in the library of my mind like I was like pulling the books off the shelves and like see here do 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 <laughs> you know um yeah, I, I, I think I think what it, it, it is, is it's like it's like you're putting flesh on bones. So you're knowing the thing fuller when you actually have to use it. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. I mean, yeah, like, so Jake, as a bit of a background, there's this philosophy at school that I've been finding out actually, not all the teachers hold this, but we're taught this a lot. It's like, if something's good, you should do it because it's good to do. Mm -hmm. so it's, if it's good for its own sake, you should do it. And that's the argument for a lot of like doing things that don't seem to make sense, but they say you should do it anyway. So um, they think knowledge is ultimate, but I've been thinking about this for a while and I don't think that's true. I think knowledge applied is much better because people are like, well, you know, just learning about the world is so good. We don't necessarily have to use that knowledge for something. But then my question is, well, then why did God do something with his knowledge? Yeah. So if he just was just thinking about it was a good thing, and he didn't have to create the world for us. And 
the people that you most respect, because mm-hmm. I think most people do agree on this, that are the people that knew something and then acted upon it to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really like the bookworms that are like the, the best type of people, but it's more like, it's like if you had somebody like in a library who learned like, let's say, political philosophy rather than like Winston Churchill who was like, no, I'm going to face this tyrant and try to stop World War II from taking over the whole world. You know, it's like very two different things. Like one person could know it probably, let's say, arguably better in a conversation than Churchill. But Churchill was able to say, well, I know how to apply it. And I think it's, it kind of goes back to that idea of um, work that you're talking about, Kate, is like the first thing you're put in this world to do is to work. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially seeing what you can do, make something from it, and then move on. It's like stacking. Well, essentially, it's what technology is. Technology is like you see something, you know how to build something to use less human time for more output. So like if you want to dig a hole, using a shovel is faster. If you want to dig a hole really fast, using an excavator. So it's like you do, it's channeling energy for more productivity. And that productivity is insofar to make life easier for us to live so that we can do higher things. Like the light bulb, for instance, that enabled people to read. Like they can start reading books at night, we didn't have to go to bed. But um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I want to plug work for two different reasons. One, because it gives us something. Um, it gives us truth, but then also um, we, there, there's like both an input and an output with work. Um, and and Hopkins actually, so junior year, we have this like junior author project uh, and so you can choose any author and do a semester long project. So I, I chose Hopkins. Um, so that's why I'm talking about him so much. Um, but I was reading uh, a commentator on, on Hopkins, basically. And she was talking about this like uppercase L logos and lowercase L logos, logos right? And also the relationship of the poet to the world and his word, right? Um, and, and we see this in God too, when we study Trinitarian theology, right? So God the Father is this like self-thinking thought, right? He, ha- he has truth, um, but he also, he also loves the truth. And insofar as he is loving himself, loving, loving the good and the truth, uh, he is the son, um, or is it knowing one of the, I think it's, it's a a thought knowing itself is the son and a a thought or loving itself is the Holy Spirit. Um, Bingo. A little bit. bit, Oh, I was almost a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, but basically we see this like double sense of the word logos, right? The logos of a thing being this like internal um, kind of form that is giving being uh or logos as in like the word that you are speaking right 
um, this thing that is giving structure to you or this thing that you are like putting out into the world. And both of them are truth, right? Um, and I, I think work kind of has that as well. Um, I actually wanna say that I think work is the quintessential way that we grow in common sense and we grow in our knowledge of the truth. Because when you're working, right? So let's assume there's truth out in reality. The world, the, the world is, is God's first book, as, as we like to call it at WCC. It's um, the first way, the first thing that God really created us for us to look at and to discern him through, right? So in the beauty or the order of nature, we're, we're supposed to see something about the artist who made the creation. Um, and so when we work with the created world, we are using observational skills, right? So we're like highly attuned to whatever creation is in front of us um, and what its needs are, how it, how it works, right? How hard is the wood? Um, how hard is the, the stone? How strong is the water? Um, what is the personality of this horse? You know, how far can I bend this tomato branch before it breaks? We're, we're, we're very observational. We're very like attuned to reality in front of us when, when we're working with creation. Um, but also when we're working, we are kind of uh, imposing an order on it. And that, that's what God that's what God asked us to do, right? That, that's what he asked specifically Adam to do was, right, name, name the creatures. Be uh, the steward of creation, kind of like the in-between uh, for God and the created world. Um, and and so, so we're giving logos to the world. We're ordering it. But then also it's teaching us things, right? I, I think about this a lot in both of my farm jobs. Um, I spend a lot of time with tomatoes in greenhouses, uh, pruning and trellising tomatoes and also cucumbers. I hate cucumbers. I hate cucumbers so much. But anyways, um, <laughs> the so like any plant, especially the tomato plants, they have an order. And once you kind of get it down, right, Where's the branch? Where's the fruit? Where's the sucker? Um, there's a pattern to it. There's a beautiful order to it. At the same time, I'm learning how to how how to be gentle because otherwise you're going to break off the top of the plant and then the plant's going to stop growing and there goes all of your produce. While always at the same time enforcing kind of my will upon the plant, right? Because we want the tomatoes to grow up the strings up the greenhouse so that we can produce as many tomatoes as possible. So it's developing my character. Um, I get that a lot with sheep as well, which you'll, you'll get kind of this, the same experience with horses. Um, both horses and sheep are animals who pick up on the kind of like um, moods of the creatures around them. So horses when you when you ride a horse if you come in super angry and like super stressed out maybe anxious the horse is going to pick up on that and it's going to start 
like acting in kind of the same way because it knows that you're not confident and that you're not in control. And so it's going to try and be in control. Sheep are the same way. So if I come in and I'm not calm and collected um, and I'm setting them, I'm not like calmly setting them all up to be milked, they're not going to act that way either. And so I have to like find this balance of being both hard and soft. Um, and that that's just another good example, right? Of working with like reality with sheep are dirty and smelly and tomato plants stain your hands. And uh, I was just in a greenhouse and it was like a hundred degrees and humid. And when it gets that hot, the tomato plants starts, start smelling like pasta sauce. And so I'm just like walking around and like, tomato paste greenhouse for hours and hours um it's not nice but when you confront reality like that and you're working with it it's giving you truth and you're also giving it truth you know and that's how you grow in knowledge sorry that was a lot no that was really good yeah i really like um how you through that idea because I've had like semblance or like small ideas relating to that big idea but I really like how you explain that like work is showing you how things work so if you understand how reality works then you can impose your own will on it for the good that you see should be done with it and that actually allows for whatever you're working with to come to its full time because mm. like if you look at just nature itself and then you look at what man does with nature like there's so many more plants and things growing and animals around when there's man like like every city somehow has like deer problem but there's hardly any deer out in the wild like mm -hmm. so it's there's like this domestication that allows life to grow faster, but that's because of man's ability to work and to see how reality works. Now, I don't know, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts, Jake? I was just going to say, you guys have almost uh, almost got me excited to get up in the morning tomorrow and go to work. <laughs> you guys are uh, getting me psyched up for it. But that, no, that wasn't good. Uh, that was a really, really great way to think about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's also where I think a lot of wisdom comes from. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think we even experienced this at WCC, Tom. Uh, certain, like, people who completely devote themselves to the intellectual life and don't have, like, even just hobbies where they're working with their hands. Um, like I know a couple of professors who are super philosophical and everything, but then also they do carpentry and they understand that you have to have both. Um, and then there's other people who I think are just unbalanced, right? It's not that they're not pursuing the good when they like radically devote themselves to an intellectual life and not to work because there's a lot of good there. I think it's just unbalanced. And you can kind of like sense that in people, you know? And so 
so this common sense, this wisdom, this growing in, in prudence, um, in fortitude, uh, in moderation, right? Self-discipline, like virtue generally, really it's just a balance within the human person, a balance between like our immaterial intellect and our body. Um, and how are we going to use both to find truth? Um, be, and you can go to either extreme, right? You can be a degenerate and like work your ass off on some like, I don't know, factory job or something and then just get drunk, you know, when you get home and just let your work become your life. Um, you can also be this like intellectual who never does anything with their hands. Uh, and, and the balance is really to like have your life, these like values that you have internally um, give direction to the work that you do. And I, th I think that's right. That, that's what God does. He has this like truth uh, in his mind, in his being, and he's just putting it to work. It's just this like continuous flow. And it, I think that makes sense why, why we would get the most fulfillment and happiness um, from doing that. There's a really interesting study from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, and I read an article in the Washington Post recently about it. And they did this study on like, what was the happiest career? Where were people the most fulfilled, the least stressed, um, felt like they were doing the most meaningful work? And the people who were the least stressed out felt like they were doing the most meaningful work, um, you know, were the happiest. They were loggers and foresters compared to like all sorts of office jobs, um, people with doctorates, all sorts of stuff. That's like, a, that's a very dangerous job and that's a very remote job. Um, it's a very hard job. It's a very bodily job but they were, they were the happiest and they felt like the most human, you know? It's just really interesting. That is really interesting. It's funny you mentioned that because I have noticed being on a construction crew myself that there is something like really satisfying when you see something completed with your eyes and you know that you did it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost weird, but you almost feel giddy sometimes. You're like, whoa, look what I did. I like built yeah. this up and you're like, it looks really good. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I think something to do with the, it's almost like the test of work, like the challenge. It's like, if there's something difficult, you want to see if you can do it. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, um, if you're like playing a sport and someone does a cool trick, you're like, I want to try and see if I can do it. Mm -hmm. I think it applies with work because if you see something difficult and strenuous and hard, and then you want to see if you can be tested by it and see if you can bear that weight almost, and if you can and you can make something from it, then it shows that you're bigger than that obstacle. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with the learning that God tries to give us, like the, the different ways he teaches us. Because I heard that the 
main paradigm and archetype for stories is you have um, the person who needs to reach a goal. The goal is his end, better state of humanity or his life or some sort of environment change. And then there's an obstacle in the way. And the larger and the more difficult the obstacle, the greater the challenge. But once he overcomes that, the greater the hero. And so I think in work, we have a lot of like very physical and um, very present obstacles that we have to overcome in order to reach your end. Um, and you have to use your mind a lot to like think about the best strategy to overcome those things to manifest that particular goal in mind. And it's really satisfying because if you're proactively thinking about what you have to do in order to make that happen, like let's say you have a team of five guys on you and you have to accomplish, let's say like roofing your house, but there's a storm coming up three, you will come up with all these different ideas on how to make sure it gets done and it's done. And then like you all fulfilled your job, you did it in a good way. And then now you can move to the next thing. So it's almost like in a, in a micro version, God gives you like, Hey, I need this to be done. Can you do it with what I gave you as tools, like your mind, your hands, um, your experiences? And then once you finish it, then you're able to see, like, oh, I am kind of like God because I can look into a chaotic venture and make something orderly from it, which is what mm -hmm. the idea of the logos is like Christ, when he looked into the world, it was a great void. And then Christ was the word that created order and structure for everything. And then being little logos people, we have the mind and the ways to speak reason. And then therefore we're able to use our hands and everything to formulate something better. So it's such a cool idea. Like, yeah, this is, you know, I'm loving the thesis topic. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, so many thoughts. One, a little bit of Hopkins. Um, for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces, right? That very convoluted line right there that some of you maybe did not completely understand. Basically what it's saying is Christ is playing before the Father. Christ is, is praising the Father, is doing his Christ things in front of the father, like the father asked him to do through the limbs and the eyes of all of us, like the 10,000 men, the thousands of humans um, out in the world, Christ is playing before the father through them. And so all of us are kind of participating in his, um, insofar as we look like him, insofar as we are becoming like God, uh, are, yeah, allowing Christ to kind of like play in us and um, us to be his little body. But I was thinking, even with that challenge, right, where God's like, can you do this, this like big obstacle? Can you accomplish this feat of construction? Even if you can't, the world is so beautiful that then you just go ask people for help. And what does that do? That helps you grow in relationship, which, which is another thing that God made us for. And I think this is 
this is kind of where the like gender stuff gets into um, my idea a little bit because Genesis, God told Adam to steward the earth. Then he gave Adam Eve, who, um, unlike Milton in Paradise Lost, paints her, which I, I love that book, by the way. She's not just like this like China doll that like sits on the, sh on the shelf and looks pretty. She is supposed, she's like, I'm going to sound like a Protestant, but she's Adam's helpmate, right? And that's a lot of work. He has like the whole world in front of him. He has to come up with names for every single animal. He has to like prune and make beautiful this garden and like keep it beautiful, which is very hard when it's even just two people because organic growth, like plants grow like wherever they want to. This is a lot of work. This is not like some easy task. Um, so that's just another, another beautiful thing is even in the challenges of life, well, what, what's the virtue that you're growing in then? It's the humility to ask other people to help with your work. Um, and that creates community. Just like uh, you were saying earlier, Tom, like having friends, staying in touch with friends and having a project that you're working on with them, right? Having a podcast where you can like all talk and have dedicated time for talking is like such a better way to stay friends with them than just randomly being like, hey, what's up? Like, how are you doing? Like, you're gonna have quality friendships if you're working on something together, you know? Oh yeah, that's that's actually a question I don't know a lot about is like the role of work between man and woman, mm -hmm. like what the married couple does. Um, have to have another podcast if you want for that one too <laughs> all those ideas like kind of explore the different tangents but yeah. yeah i really like the idea of how it's all enveloped like the idea that like the idea of a mission that god gives us inside that mission we need to have our team we need to have our our tools our tactiles we need to have a vision we need to have understanding of the past we have all these different things playing in and out of it and then god is right there saying like, yeah if you need help i'm always here i'm going to show you the way to do this and then you'll get to see the beauty of what you do in the journey and at the end and if you do it well enough then you get to come to the ultimate kingdom and that's where everything is fully shown and where it's like a mimic like i don't know i mean i don't know what heaven is like but from what i've understood it's like earth is like a mimicking of what could be mm -hmm. um but you'll read this in brothers k but he his philosophy is that he says heaven and hell are both present on earth it's whether or not we choose to have either one. Hmm. So we get to see and choose what life we want to have in the future. But I think it's so centralized around the idea of working and resting inside that work. Like, if you look at all the worst people in history, they're all people who never worked a job. Hmm. Like, um, Karl Marx never held a job in his whole lifetime, I think. 
Wow. And, like, roamed around like in his brother's dad's basement kind of thing for like 20 okay. years and wrote like two books in 20 years. So like not productive at all. And so it's like the people that don't want to be a person of service, like being the steward that Christ gave us to made us to be, and also the master, the person who's able to understand something so well that he can teach his apprentice. Then you just have essentially lifelong babies that need to be cared for. You know, everyone else to work for them because they're too afraid to like go out and get dirty and make something happen. And that they don't have that humility inside of themselves to be like, no, I, I need to go be around the stinky sheep for a day and <laughs> do my job. <laughs> I can't just sit inside and be a bum all day. <laughs> so. Yeah. We wonder we wonder why there's so much so many problems in the world when there's like so many full grown adults with crippling student debt who live in their parents' basements and don't do anything. <laughs> like makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah, Tom, I like that you brought up uh, Karl Marx. I feel like that's an example of like he had his whole his whole ideology was all in his head, all in his what he thought was his reason, which turned out to be pretty irrational. And I think that further um, further invalidates uh, Descartes. I think therefore I am that you brought up earlier, Kate, in that he thought that just simply his reason alone, I guess, or his rationality was sufficient to uh, prove that, I guess, yeah, prove, prove reality. But then you look at Marx and what he thought, I'm trying to think how to explain this, like, like his reality ended up causing arguably the most death in one century that we've seen. So I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I sometimes wonder if he had held a job, if maybe he would have <laughs> thought differently, but <laughs> maybe, maybe would have saved a uh, century of bloodshed in the process. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the other thing about work is it puts you in your place. Um, I mean, I'm not, by, by bringing up Adam and Eve and putting them on somewhat of the same level as more of coworkers, I'm not trying to say that they are the same. I'm not trying to say that uh, femininity and masculinity are should be treated the same, or even that they are capable of the same things, generally speaking, right? Um, but work teaches you that. It teaches you your limit, right? I mean, it challenges you to get stronger and it challenges you to grow in virtue. And then it shows you where you cannot do anymore and where someone else would be better, right? There are jobs that no matter how strong I am or like skilled I am as a woman, a man is just going to be better at them, you know? Um, and that's, that's the other beautiful thing about creation is, yeah, God made this creation where we, we tell it what it is and put it in its place. And it kind of looks back at us and tells us what we are, who we are. Uh, and puts us back in our place, you know, and it's just the, 
the balance of yeah learning from it i guess to, to the correct degree yeah that's really well said Kate, because it's like the modern day transphobia stuff not transphobia but it's like the trans crazy stuff it's mm -hmm. like they all want to do what the opposite person does they want to be the opposite of what they are for some reason mm -hmm. and i don't know where it comes from exactly but maybe it's like it's weird because it's like right now you have people say that like hyper masculine men are toxic and then they say that hyper feminine women are toxic and then so they try to dumb you down and by and the way they dumb you down is like trying to turn you into the opposite thing so you lose all the stuff that should be pleasant to you mm. and they're maybe it's just like the short-term perspective on the world but they think that well if i'll find my ultimate meaning through my sexuality but I think they missed the whole point that the sexuality is the beginning of the meaning of your life. It's like, that's the first step. Like having babies is what allows for the next generation to fulfill God's work. And your job is to understand the world enough and to keep understanding it and learning and loving what God has given us in order to teach your children in the next generation how to do something similar but in their specific role. So it's almost like they they don't want to be responsible enough to bring creation into existence. Mm -hmm. I don't know what your and Jake's thought on that, but at least that's my take recently on this, these type of things, just seeing how they make choices in life and what their priorities are. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's really sad. Um, and I, I was also thinking about this recently. Uh, I, yeah, there, I, I have another coworker who um, announced that she, I'm going to refer to her as she and her because that's her biological gender, uh, although she would not like me to do that. Um, she announced that she was non-binary and would like us to call her uh, by they and them. And so it was just like very much right in front of me, this whole issue. And it just really struck me that I think they're living, they're like living in a different reality. I, I don't know because a world, really a, a Cartesian world, right? Where I think, therefore I am. Where the first thing is that they can think and they have a self and gender follows after that. The gender is something, it's, it's like your outfit that you put on um, and not something that is intrinsic to your being 
And so I think it's just fundamentally a different worldview. Um, and yeah, a rejection of what we are referring to as reality, um, which is crazy. It's very radical. It's much more radical than just, you know, I don't know. I have this, this random woman maybe has more masculine qualities or something like, sure. There, there's always this kind of, you have a little bit of both, you know, technically I think actually women have more testosterone than men scientifically. <laughs> I, I, I've, I heard that someplace. So everyone's going to have a little bit of like qualities that are stereotypically this, that, or the other thing, but like, it's not an intrinsic, uh, intrinsic thing for them. It's just something you can throw on top of who you are. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's, um, I think a lot of it probably stems from an insecurity about themselves, something underlying that they dislike or would change um, about, whether it's their appearance or how their brain works, what their instincts are. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, it's it's something to kind of cover that up. And I think it all that stems from, like you, you mentioned, Kate, it's like a different worldview. I agree with that. And I think it's a worldview in which, I don't know, like only, only yourself exists. You're not, you're not, um, you're not like working towards the common goal, as you mentioned, Tom, uh, with the construction example. It's, uh, yeah, just kind of divorced, divorced from reality or any, any physical sense of things. It's all, all uh, really all in their head and just like a, like a fantasy world. Yeah. And one other thing that I've always kind of been puzzled by is why are there so many of these liberal types like alphabet LGBT uh, people in, in places like agriculture? Because there, especially when you're working with, an with animals, like gender is so apparent. You have a female sheep and you have a male sheep. You have a cow you can milk and a cow that you cannot. <laughs> um, you have a duck that lays eggs and a duck that does not lay eggs. Uh, and it is very apparent which one is the female and which one is the male. And it's very important. It's like absolutely essential to your business model that you have different genders of animal. Um, and you're just like, so it's right in front of your face. And so I really don't understand how people can look at that and especially people who are like humans are, are basically just animals with glorified minds. How can you look at that, be working with animals every single day and still think, oh, we can be different, right? We can be something more than just female or male. Heck, we could be, I could be a cat, you know, like it, it just, it just confuses me how, so, how, how people can be like also so confronted with reality and yet not live in it, um, which is very striking. 
which again kind of makes me think like this is a very radical thing this is not just a different political opinion this is this is a different reality yeah that is that is a uh, tough one to think about i don't know if i have i can come <laughs> up with a good answer other than that maybe maybe like there's some semblance of sanity that's like bringing them or drawing them towards the towards the natural order that you see in animals i don't know that's yeah. kind of what came to mind but yeah no that's uh that is that is pretty striking you would hope i mean i i hope i hope that like yeah nature can be a way that people not not to sound like a hippie <laughs> but i hope that the reality of nature is a way that people can can come to sanity again well, yeah, I think you're on something because I think nature is one of those other places that they inverted reality on. They look to nature's being God rather than God who created nature. And that mm -hmm. they're supposed to be stewards and have dominion over the world. So they're supposed to be able to control it. They're supposed to be, supposed to be able to domesticate the wild so that the higher life can live there. Um, but I think the reason why they're so in touch with plants is because they feel like it's an outward thing that they can be a part of but yeah. it doesn't give you any feedback it doesn't tell you like the bull or sheep isn't going to be like yo you're a weirdo like <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to do its thing so these people can be as weird as they want and these animals aren't going to tell them that they're weird so they can feel at peace with themselves, I think. Hmm. Even though it's very obvious that animals, there's two genders, but they have like very complicated reasonings to figure out how humans can be different because we're different than them, so therefore we're higher, so therefore we're not subjected to two genders, which is kind of silly talk. But yeah, there's actually a really interesting idea that's in that talk about Jordan Pearson. He talks about the subjective vision of reality mm -hmm. and how it's not so, so they thought that when you see something, then you believe it. But what they're finding is that you actually have to believe something in order to see it. Mm -hmm. So even with like simple things, like if you, believe that is like there's actually a really good example of how to brainwash somebody there's like this class and there's a red and a blue circle and the teacher asks which one of these is bigger and the kids are like they're the same size and i know like, no, 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 no. the one's bigger and so like half the classroom is red and one and a half class is blue it's like well i just given you an example that i just brainwashed you they're the same size but because I told you they weren't the same size, you believe they weren't, so you saw something different present in them. It's kind of freaky, but it's kind of cool at the same time. Because that's what Christ says, he's like, believe and then you will see. Rather than see to believe, there's always the faith that saves you rather than seeing what I can do that brings you to faith. Sure. So I don't know if that plays into it much. But there is some very weird stuff going on. It's almost like, well, 
he also talks about gender stuff and he's like technically speaking they are thinking like a two-year-old because mm. they haven't exited the place of imagination so they because we're supposed to use our imagination with the real world as kind of like an idea of like if you ever tried like those virtual reality lens lenses you like see the world and you can augment what it looks like based on your virtual reality that's what imagination is kind of about it's like we can see something and then imagine something from it and then that thought is our first step towards making it yep. but they want their imagination to be the whole world and so they don't want to leave that and you try to tell them otherwise they get all really scared because they don't have that maturity to say oh yeah that's a silly idea because inside of our mind we're able to make thought constructs that will either bring us to life or death so we can either live or die in our mind before we actually live or die it's mm. like um it's a testing place we can like test thoughts out it's like well should i say this and then your mind is like well that could come off really awkward so maybe i should yeah. so in, in your mind you you let your own reputation die before you said something that you regret later and then your reputation dies but sorry that was kind of a big long out explanation of uh, my best guess of everything i don't know how to come yeah no wow that, that's that's really interesting I, I don't want to draw out your night too far, Kate, but it was really, really fun to have you on. And I learned a ton tonight. Yeah, no, thank, thank you so much for having me. It was really good to hash out ideas. Um, I also feel like I learned a lot or like put into words uh, a lot of my thoughts, which one, one quote I also want to throw in there. Uh, so G.K. Chesterton, I'd highly recommend uh him for reading and whatnot he is kind of dubbed unofficially the apostle of common sense by dr dale alquist who's uh one of the leading chesterton kind of scholars in the country right now um but he says i'm not sure quite sure where i don't know where to cite this so don't bite me for that um <laughs> but he says that common sense is what all men know is true without really knowing how to uh, express it or without really even needing to express it. It's what we all can see is true and all of the basic assumptions that we all work from. Um, so it was really nice to like to be on the podcast and to kind of give words to all of these intuitions and whatnot. Yeah, that Thanks. was awesome. I if you're down, we'd definitely like to have you back on later for more episodes. Because I, I know we were talking in the chat, and I think there were like three different ideas already. But <laughs> after this, I feel like there's at least five. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, I'd love to. That'd be awesome. So. so, yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This was a really fun podcast to record. Um, so grateful Kate was able to join us and Jake and share these ideas. and. Hopefully you learned a lot from our conversations. Um, it's too bad Aiden couldn't join us, but hopefully he'll be on next time. Um, 
I'll do my best to do his outro. He always does it so well. But um, if you liked what you heard, uh, leave us a subscribe, um, like, comment. Uh, we're on YouTube, Rumble, Apple, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, and True Social. So um, you can find all different sorts of content on those platforms. And as always, be safe, be strong, but most importantly, be a good American. God bless. See y'all later.